0: it is to be said so it be so it is (laughs) this is even star waco a special series by my brother my captain my podcast normally our adventures have us journeying across middle earth but here we travel to the gilded halls of logan roy as we discuss the final season of secession i'm manu also known as manuclear bomb
1: and i'm emily also known as jrr tweeting
0: Today's episode is Connor's Wedding, the momentous third episode of Secession's final season. And we will be spoiling all of Secession, and we are actually giving you way more warning than the LA Times did Monday morning or Sunday night. We'll talk
1: about it. (laughs) Oh, boy.
0: Before we dive into our discussion, uh, since we're talking about weddings and character deaths, I would just like to remind everyone that I have a Song of Ice and Fire podcast, not a cast, A-S-O-I-A-F. And we are actually approaching the red wedding, uh, which is, of course, perhaps what set this um, whole meme that HBO does these killer wedding episodes. It's really a George R. R. Martin thing. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> And anyways, uh, we are in a really good stretch of the books, and since a lot of people might be jumping on for secession coverage, I just wanted to point y'all to Not a Cast, ASOIAF. We have a Patreon as well, patreon.com slash IAF. and we do all sorts of talking about the books. We talk about the shows, House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones, and on the Patreon, there are episodes about Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, ostensibly what this podcast is about, but. I don't know, me and Emily have issues.
1: (laughs) Understatement of the year. Of Andor season one Andor of course now being the touchstone against Which I measure everything else um, We got to See Cassian Andor The titular Andor and also now the main character Of Star Wars uh, depart his hometown of Feryx. Um, and um, As we watched him well not uh, hometown of Ferrex, but at home planet of Ferrex. And as we watched him, the Cash in the End, adult, uh, leave Ferrex in episode three. We also watched young Cassa leave Kanari, um, and enter literally the light of a, of a new day, the, the the dawning of a new day, um, in in um Marva and Clem's uh spaceship, shiny spaceship that looks nothing like the Money and Falcon. Um, and and this episode, um, in Andor season one is is quite literally and like in just the most boring terms ever. Uh a turning point episode. Um it is the culmination of the setup uh that we got in the first two episodes. It it tidies up everything that we need to know about who Cashin is um as a as a young man, as a 40 something man, um and also who he was as a child and and helps to shape um, uh, the, not just the episodes to come in, in a sort of boring sense of saying it, but also to explain why he made the decisions that he did. Um, and and while it is a dramatic end, there is a there is a shootout, there is an IRA style um, <laughs> a car bomb, um, and and also there is this sort of first contact um, between between the Cass's people and Canary and and Marvin Clem. Um, and also some interesting insight into who it is that is ruling the galaxy at, at the, the, the time of Cash and Cass's, uh, childhood. There's not really anything overly bombastic there. Yes, it is very interesting and, and all very exciting to watch Cash and break out of, of, um, of Farrix, but, but it's not exactly a change to what the story has told us to expect so far. Um. The the TV series as a whole, I think, is riddled with um, not like subversions, but near subversions of, of what we've come to expect of like a narrative, um, certainly a television narrative. But episode three is really still about setting the scene and, and explaining everything that is to come. Um, episode three of Succession season four, um, I think, can best be summarized as what the high holy fuck just happened here. Um, it was a total flipping of everything that we would expect of of a TV series. Um, Certainly didn't feel like a, you you know, in some ways, well, (laughs) some of us um, may have guessed exactly correctly uh, that Logan Roy was not going to make it until the end of the series. Um, But I don't think there was anything necessarily to say that episode three of this season was going to be the big uh, knockdown drag out episode where everything changed. Um, For all intents and purposes, it could have been another sort of on ramp to the big big sort of climax um in the in series and instead they delivered us um Logan Rai's death uh Logan Rai is dead and now the kids have to pick up the pieces and figure out who they will become and and who their allies are um in a world in which Daddy is no longer there to protect them. And And as as I said to you, Manu, as soon as I finished the episode yesterday, I cannot believe that that was episode three, and there is so much left, literally in terms of time, we have six, seven episodes left, Um, there is so much left for the show to do, and it feels like it's completely turned itself on its head, the literal succession for which the show is named is now starting. Um, And this is, it just feels like, you know, again, not a totally radical structure for a TV series, not unprecedented, surely, but really breathtaking in terms of what it has done. and and how both simultaneously unexpected and perfectly set up everything about last night's episode was.
0: Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's... Both what they did, um, because obviously you usually don't kill, you know, your ostensible lead, you know, this early <laughs> in a season. Um, I think I think Game of Thrones has conditioned people to expect that in like the penultimate or ultimate episode of a season. Um, I do want to point out, though, in Game of Thrones season four, uh, King Joffrey dies at the end of the second episode. Um, but that was necessarily a part of the story where things were just happening at a much rapider pace. And it's just two episodes after the Red Wedding. That's besides the point. (laughs) I'm going to try and keep the Game of Thrones stuff to the minimum. But it's also um, where we are in the season. And it feels like we got an actual episode of television this week. Like, and I I don't, that's not a diss against every other episode of Secession, but this one felt more television-y than Bunch of other stuff that I've seen of recent vintage, including some Andor episodes, to be honest. Um, And I think a lot of that has to be do with how they did it. Um, It's already been talked about so much. I don't want to get into it right now about how they basically did the middle portion of the episode where they're all finding out about Logan in essentially one take. Um, It wasn't presented as one take in the episode, but rather they acted it all out as like a 30 minute stage play. And that's something I have talked about with Game of Thrones. Like I preferred the earlier seasons because it was shot and produced more as a stage play, um, leveraging its BBC style actors instead of as like cinema, which is when I started to feel it kind of weakened. And here you really felt the fact that the camera was following these people around, that there was continuity between shots, that this isn't Kieran Culkin getting into the same headspace, you know, 15 minutes after he just had lunch again. You know, (laughs) Um, this is all his performance, all within 30 minutes. And I think that just helped create an episode of television like this is almost like a bottle episode if it maybe like two, a mini bottle on the side like a sidecar with the plane stuff Um, but a lot of it is literally just in those kind of two or three rooms on the boat um, following them around following them up and down stairwells and when you have tight quarters like that you need very very precise camera work Um, and you could really feel that Um, One of the visual influences for Secession is, sadly, stuff like The Office and Parks and Mm -hmm. Rec, like that mockumentary-style shaky cam stuff. But it really helped, like... You could really feel it this episode because I think they were just a little tighter on the close-ups. Um, There's just a little more voyeurism. I think uh, Mark Mylod talked about this in uh, the behind the episode was that they lingered a little bit more to get just a little more extra emotion out of these people, usually where the camera would cut away before you see whatever kind of like stupid face Shiv makes at Tom or whatever. <laughs> they were really lingering on there. And you could really see, I think Sarah Snook specifically, like all that little face acting and like, trying to emote without knowing exactly how to emote in character that is not as an actor um and i it was just stupendous and i think the it feels like an episode of television and that allows us to talk about like the form of a television yep. show and a television se- season like you were mentioning.
1: Yeah. I see. I think this is really it because like, I, you know, something in the a couple of TV shows that we've covered so far. Um, I think one of the things that we're constantly kind of trying to get at is like, what is, what is a TV? Like not in the stupid way, but like, what is a TV show? Like what is a good episode of TV? Um, and what sets TV as, as a form apart from movies or apart from stage plays or any, uh, any of these other things, podcasts, audiobooks, things like that. And I think this was really – that 30-minute one-take stretch that you are talking about is, I think, almost a perfect definition for – what makes TV TV and not a play and and not a movie. Um, and, and I think there's something to like, if you think about the confines of a play, right? So like, if you had to do a long drawn out scene, you, you will, of course, in theater have 30 minute long scenes. I mean, it sucks to do, but like you will of course have that. Um, and you will have actors genuinely feeling exhausted as they're performing these scenes because they're emotionally intense, because it's also hard to do very, very long scenes. And you have elements of that, but you don't quite have as a standard you don't quite have that level of dynamism in terms of being able to move around in the way that you 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 were able to in succession and there's this oh god it was just killer it's gonna stick with me forever um but but um shiv and i think it was actually shiv and kendall um following connor out after they've told connor what's happened and it's this long drawn out shot where I kept expecting them to cut because I'm so used to how TV works is if people are walking up the stairs to a room that we've already seen and we have a good sense of the geography of of whatever the sort of larger environment that there is, they're not going to show us them walking up the stairs because that's not really information that we necessarily need as viewers. But they kept that fucking camera on them the whole time they walked up the, sta- the stairs and it felt so painful. It felt like a drawn-out panic attack. And you're just watching Shiv look like she's dying on the inside. And I'm I can't even remember if it's Kendall or Connor because it's just Shiv was upsetting me so much. But just watching them Go through this and go through the stages of it almost in real time because we're we're watching them move. That is something about there's something there watching those itty bitty moments of having to watch people feel exhausted as they're climbing the stairs. Something that we all feel, but but it's not just the exhaustion, the physical exhaustion of of climbing the stairs, it's also the emotional exhaustion. It's not something that you can convey in the same level, level of depth and and nuance on on a on, on stage as you can in TV and in movies where you have vastly less time to convey every single element of the plot that you need to convey. And you also wouldn't be likely, unless it's a very, very well kind of trimmed and well edited and, and well scripted um, movie, you wouldn't necessarily take the time to to show that um, in the way that they had. And it was very casual. It's not like they had music to kind of soundtrack it so that we as the audience like knew that they were really showing us them climbing the stairs for a reason. It was... It is dead fucking silent. You're going to watch these people who are in pain and going through something horrifying um walk up these stairs because it's going to contribute to your emotional distress as 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 a as a viewer. and and that to me, really is the summation of understanding and really working with and jiving with TV as a medium and not trying to force TV to be a movie and not trying to force TV to be x, Y, and z other media. It's really understanding what TV is and just going for it
0: yeah and all these like following shots and tracking shots are very in line with secession's visual language already because we're so familiar with them following behind let's say brian cox or tom or whoever just like down a hallway at waystar royco um but the extra shakiness here which uh i think the director also said is they're on a boat or they're in a plane. Um, so you're just everyone's on unstable ground or no one's on sure footing, basically. Um, so it it kind of builds on the visual language. And one thing they said that really stuck with me is that if they cut away from the kids, um, it would almost be like letting them off the hook. Yes. Like not to show them what they're actually doing and like emoting or feeling in that actual moment. You talked about killing a character in episode three when there's ostensibly seven more episodes to go uh and it almost feels like a challenge or a gauntlet was thrown down by armstrong and my and the creative team here like now we have to not necessarily reinvent the show But so much of the show is Brian Cox as a center of gravity. And so much of who these kids are and not just the kids, even like the vassals like the Carl's and Jerry's and Frank's of the world are defined in the show by their relationship to Logan and their relationship to the power structure that Logan has built. And now all of that is either gone or crumbling. So now in these last seven episodes, it's almost like a challenge from the writers. Now we have to kind of define these characters with the absence of their core defining trait but in a way that still feels real to 3 plus seasons of television. So it's like really exciting to see like cuz this is a huge opportunity for all these characters um to really go in interesting directions.
1: Yeah. I I, I and I it is it's the um it's the follow through, right? Like the, the succession, the premise, they've spent three, ap- three seasons setting up the premise and we know what the, what the rules of the game are. Um, but the show is now following through on what succession actually is. And and I know that sounds kind of corny, like, oh, the uh, who will win the Game of Thrones kind of thing. But like, but it is like we are now into the succession. We are now the show is now setting up for an end. And and I think I like it because it shows a sense of like care and, and thoughtfulness about what it actually means and how they are ending the show. And I think like, you know, they announced that they're only doing the four seasons and we were all like, Oh, that's so great! Like that's so great that they're knowing when to cut their like you know cut and run, um, and and when to end on a high note. But I think this episode in particular shows that not only are they knowing when to sort of cut their losses or not cut their losses, but but you know bow out bow out when the applause is still going. But it 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 shows that they've really thought about the story and are doing justice to the story as it is, instead of doing justice to the ratings or their wallets or any other you know their egos even things that are not material. And I think that that in itself is really interesting because I think it's kind of a test a show has to pass in some ways, um, is, is how much is the show actually committed to telling its own story versus how much is the show kind of committed to f- fulfilling the whims of everything else, what the audience wants, what the studio wants, what the markets want, that that kind of thing. And then I think like, in, in as much as it's doing that on sort of a meta level, it's also now doing that for the characters. And I think this episode in particular was, like, you know, you, you mentioned the voyeurism stuff in it, and I think we've never felt... I think more voyeuristic, not, not just in that, like the absence of seeing like Logan Roy's face when he's dead, except for that one shot. Like that also, I think hammers home the voyeurism, but, but, and again, I'm going to keep going back to her, but seeing Shiv crack like she has, um, and seeing Roman as well. And, and that awful gut wrenching scene where, um, Roman goes into the room where Jerry is and is like, I need the room. And then he goes, I'm sad. I think I'm sad actually. And Jerry basically goes, sorry, worse luck and fucks off and that's roman i think breaking at his worst um it's shiv i mean the, some of the noises sarah snook was making i just like i can't even i can't think about it because it just makes me sick to my stomach to be honest it, it was so brilliant seeing these characters just totally totally broken and i think realizing as well how broken they are and 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 realizing i think for the characters realizing that they now have to commit to who they are and and i think that in some ways leads me to the kind of thing that i'm almost the most excited to talk about is that one character has quote unquote won the game of thrones one character has faced the very very worst of it all and has been broken over the sort of broken over someone's knee logan's knee and has come out and 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 basically been like better at the end and and it's connor um and connor had the most awful line um In his reaction to finding out Logan died, he was he he never got to like me and I never got to make him proud. And that just like, I can't, I can't think about it. I can't talk about it. I'm just going to fucking ball. But, but then he did two things that I think were really important. One, he had a very emotionally difficult conversation with Willa. Um, and they laid their emotional cards on the table. And I think also Willa was particularly interesting here because she didn't coy away from her motivations are from the truth of the situation. She was as emotionally honest with Connor as anyone has ever been on this show to him. Um, and Connor was open and receptive to it. And then asked for a, a sort of modicum of his, or asserted sort of his his own wants and desires in in a way that I think made him even more emotionally vulnerable. And then at the end succeeded. Um, and then at the end, Willis still did marry him and and he did get his, his wedding. Um, and so Of all of these characters who are now totally broken and totally fucked, um, it is equal parts surprising and totally unsurprising to me that, that, that Connor, I think, is the one who, no matter who succeeds Logan, he will always be the one who I think has actually come out basically fine on the other end.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking good for Connor the entire episode yeah. or not the entire episode. Um, I guess we should talk a little bit about the loony cake um, oh. because he clearly has some uh, traumatic memories. Uh, oh. Essentially, I think the story is uh, when his mom was uh, sent to a mental institution and uh, Daddy got him a cake, and so he just assumes every cake is a loony cake. Now, and this is the second. So they
1: got. So it was a. He got a Victoria sponge cake, um, and ate that. And then the wedding cake was also Victoria sponge cake. And for some reason, I'm I've convinced myself that this isn't the first time we've heard about this cake. Um, and I think we heard about this cake in. Maybe one of the episodes surrounding Tom and Shiv's marriage, I think maybe Harriet Walters mentions it. Um I need to stop calling her Harriet Walters, but she's always Harriet <laughs> Walters to me. Um uh, Shiv and Kendall and Roman's mom mentions it at one point. Um something about the, like someone eating the cake until they were so sick, they like needed to go to the hospital or something. And and I thought that was really interesting because it's like I, I don't know the excess, the the the, the like the you know the Romans. Okay, the Roman Empire. The Romans used to eat until excess, and then vomit the vomitorium, and then do it all over again. And there's this kind of thing where like the the emotional void is so intense, and like um and 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 sort of answering it with like a very specific kind of decadence. The literal let them eat cake actually just compounded the sort of pain and 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 I hate to say trauma, but like the pain and the trauma and and the unhappiness and. Connor did that to himself once and seems to have learned the lesson. You know, he's incredibly upset that it's being served at his wedding, but like he has learned the lesson enough to not overstuff with the decadence and and is instead kind of setting his boundaries for the things that he must have, um, i.e., Willa, um, and the things that he must not have and and will not have anymore. And and that kind of relationship to Something as simple as like the question of cake and what kind of cake, whether or not you love Victoria's sponge cake like that, I think, is so enormously revealing compared to just all of the other siblings.
0: Yeah, Uh, one thing I was thinking about is if I go back and rewatch the season, when we get to uh, episode two and Khan's talking about how he never had the family's love in the karaoke room if instead of viewing it as something sad, actually viewing it as kind of triumphant or liberatory, or as him kind of cutting that umbilical cord, like untethering himself from the need for their um, love or their respect or whatever you want to call it, because he's probably the least broken up about Logan's death. And then he goes on to have a pretty solid day. Um, And yeah, the stuff with Willa just, it's so like endearing to hear like, realisticness or pragmatism about relationships and wedding um it's like yeah it is a little bit about money and safety but that doesn't mean i'm not enjoying this or um i don't know it just felt really refreshing and having that small little ceremony at the end and they're both like legitimately happy in the moment like that's like more intimacy than anyone else in the roy family will probably ever experience yeah um and it it was just really just really a big fan of it and it almost it, it does come out as a B plot in their own episode. Like it is called Connor's Wedding, but it is obviously more about Logan and the three other kids. But it is awesome that he has a win. And it's, it's still fucking Connor, man. He's still complaining that Mr. Scrooge was a wealth creator, but <laughs> Mr. Dickens didn't talk about that. Like he's not fundamentally like any less of a shithead. Yeah. Um, but he's just, you know. Uh, he he's at least being honest about what's going on in his like familial circle, in his like "Quote unquote" circle of trust or mistrust or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's just really great that through all that, um, because you know we as audience are supposed to feel a little. Uh, we definitely feel complicated about Logan's death because you know we don't like like the character, but we love the performance, and of course it changes everything for the last seven uh, episodes. Um, and that's why I liked uh, at the beginning where you called this episode or a turning point, um, because I think we've kind of lost the thread on what a climax is like people think climax is essentially the end of the story when thanos dies let's say um but it's usually a turning point and there's a whole falling action and denouement that's supposed to, not supposed to but generally comes after that turning point point. and this story structure is going to give us like more than half a season where we can really linger in the falling action of something as opposed to something where it gets wrapped up and then you get one episode maybe to do all your, and this is what happens after the main character dies or after the main character wins or the main bad guy dies. Um, Yeah. So I just think, I had to get that in because I really do like the structure of what's being laid out for this series. Yeah.
1: Okay. Here I'm gonna I'm gonna cast on the gauntlet of insanity here. Um, that's one of the other Marvel gauntlets that they haven't done a movie for. Um, <laughs> I think Connor's moment in the karaoke room was his A.O.N.'s I am no man moment, um, and and I mean that in that like. Um, it it would be wrong to confuse it. No, not that I'm saying what you said is wrong, because I think there's, like, a couple different ways of looking at it. I think that it would be wrong to, like, call that an emotional high point in a positive sense, as in, like, this is Connor um, happily doing better than he's ever done before, and rather to call it an emotional high point in the, like he has now hit rock bottom and is self aware of it in a way that is going to lead to positivity. And this episode was his, was his Aowen's houses of the healing moment. And, 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 and his sort of, you know, his um, dad never got to like me line is Eowyn's, uh no longer do I desire to be a queen line. Um, and, and, and I think it is really sort of Connor going through a, a, on our behalf, a sort of emotional catharsis, um, and 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 solving um, ahead of time and in the background, the kind of emotional problems of the character that was never really foregrounded, um, and I think there's something kind of in that in that like, um, I think it will probably maybe I don't know I don't know how the discourse is going to shape, but I think it will probably be overlooked in terms of succession kind of character arcs and and plot lines um, for what it is, which is, I think, one of the best ones, um, because it shows that there is um, not redemption for these characters, because as you said, he's still a shithead, um, but there is a chance for them to do better than what they are doing now. And then it sets all of the other siblings very clearly into this, will they do better? Because someone has set the precedent. Connor has set the precedent that they can do better. Now the spotlight is on Shiv, Kendall, and Roman, Will they do better? I'm going to go ahead and bet no. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bet none of these guys are going to do any better. And in absence of Lear, um, they're all going to fall the fuck apart um, in increasingly embarrassing ways. Um, but but there is something there, I think, to Connor kind of having his plot almost tidily kind of tied up in a bow and, and set aside. um being possibly being used as an inflection point against which all of the other siblings and all of the other characters really can now be judged um and 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 certainly i think vastly more interesting given the absence of like that father figure given the absence of the like the siblings the siblings aren't even there for the wedding given the absence of the eyes of the world because the eyes of the world are either on the fall of the one ring or on the fall of the other one ring, Logan Roy. Um, And, and, and I, I just think there's so much, oh, I'm so, I've never like had a death episode that has made me so excited for the next couple of episodes. And this is really like, oh my God, where do we go from here?
0: You talk about them getting better and that's perfect. Cause I want to talk about like quote unquote mistakes they made like in the shadow of the death, like the circumstances or at least how they process this could be so different. If, Uh, Roman could have held on to having the talk with Jerry like for 30 minutes, like he initially said. Like, then he doesn't bring up that she's getting fired. And then when all the shit goes down, perhaps he does have a shoulder to like cry on and someone to talk to at the end of the episode where Jerry has no more interest in him. Or, uh, Shiv losing it, but Tom called her twice before, um, he eventually got through to Roman. (gasps) And then, um, thinking about if she had just picked up maybe she gets to say some last words to dad um maybe she's not thinking about the fact that you know because she's almost she she knows to back off but she's like kind of mad at roman and ken's like why didn't you come get me and it's like we did what what do you expect us to do it's not like they had any idea what to do they thought they were giving like heart resuscitation instructions over the phone because they didn't trust anyone on the plane (laughs) um so you see like these people can't help getting in their own way. And Romans doesn't even stop there because then he went on and left a shitty voicemail. Um, So now he's always going to be thinking, well, uh, did dad listen to that voicemail before he died? Did he listen to it while he died? Is it perhaps the last thing he ever heard? Uh, So it's just like, we were like fractions of seconds away from things going very differently for a bunch of these characters. Um, And that's just like, Oh, it's so good. Yeah,
1: and, and Roman as well. I think in in terms of like diagnosing, will these characters get better? Roman definitely not, because I've never been cheering harder for Roman than when he was lead- leaving that voicemail. That was so much like, an, like we talked about this in the last episode. But like, Roman has a very clear sense of like humanity, and even though he cl- chooses to deny it and ignore it basically at every given opportunity. Like, it's still obviously there and 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 bubbling sort of far closer to the surface than Shiv's, whose is entirely fake, and Kendall's, whose is just, like, pure narcissism. Like, Roman, I think, was finally asserting there that he had to do something that made him feel awful, that he knew was wrong, and he was going, I know who is forcing this. It's it's not me. It's my father, and, and fuck that guy. And so he left that voicemail, and I was like, yes, like, get it, girl, finally. And then that he immediately recanted, essentially, in light of the death of his father. Unlike Connor, who was like, dad will never like me. Oh, well, on to live my life. Roman was like, what if that was the last thing dad heard? what if i permanently sort of eternally destroyed this relationship with my father he he was not getting the kind of growth instinct there and and you could see as well the fact that he like went running back to jerry thinking that it would like that she would kind of be like oh here here roman it's okay don't worry past mistakes or it never happened there was no actual material problem here like he's not learning he's not going to solve anything um and and in comparison shiv who hung up twice on tom holy shit possibly one of the worst things i've ever seen on screen in retrospect now she goes running back to tom um literally and and figuratively at the end of that episode she's she i think has realized um she can't you know tom's tied up all of the divorce lawyers but tom is also very self-aware of the fact that he's nothing now because his protector as he literally says his protector is gone and so shiv and tom i think have possibly looped back up again. And and so then are then in other ways, kind of going back to making the same old mistakes because they really can't, or at least now are not getting out of the shadow of Logan Roy and and, and are not making the right decisions. I don't even know what the fuck to make a Kendall. He's just such a non-entity without Lo- Logan. It's like, what is yin without yang? I guess just like a dot on a page.
0: <laughs> uh Okay, uh, I had somewhere to go, and I completely lost it. Shit. Um,
1: okay, I have- fuck, why
0: don't you say something? I yeah. have
1: some interesting things, which is uh, not interesting at all. Carrie. What what did we make of Carrie's-
0: Chuckles the Clown?
1: Yeah, that was- Okay, also, sorry, just as an aside, all of the plane acting, everybody on the plane, uh, uh, fucking Matt, Matthew McFadden. Like who already won an Emmy and should probably win another Emmy and deserves much more of a career than the one he's had, was on fire the entire way through. He was absolutely riveting. But so too was everyone else on that plane. Um I think they were all really going at at really sort of operating at one hundred 110% there that that whole way through every single scene they were in. Um I, I I think there was just so much there. But but Carrie remains an interesting question for me. Um, because What do we think her, where do we think she was when Logan died? What do we think is going to become of her? Do we think Marsha is going to show back up and into the picture? Like who is in the will? Is it Carrie that's in the will? Like Tom seems to have predicted. Is it Marsha still? Is it the kids? Like what is kind of Carrie's, what do we think Carrie's role in this is going to be going forward from here?
0: Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And we have to think a little bit about the season finale from last year. Uh, because we had both the fact that Logan was getting his uh, boys uh, ready to go for another kid. Um, and then also that because uh, the ending like pivoted on Logan reworking some of the divorce agreement with um, whatever uh, his second wife is Marsha. Uh, so that. Uh, no, that's his third wife, oh, right? Oh,
1: God, no. It's um Harriet Walters. I can't remember her name. Why is this happening yeah. to me? Uh, Col- Colin
0: Wood or Colin Wood is her last yes. name. I-, I remember that much. Um, so like, we know that all that stuff could be in play that uh, Logan could be tinkering with all sorts of legal, not tinkering, like in an illegal way, but just like updating his like will and all that stuff up until his very last moment. And it is one of those things like, what was Logan doing at the time? (laughs) Uh, Like when he like collapsed in the bathroom was Mm Carrie in there with him? mm -hmm. Uh, Was he taking a giant shit? Was he (laughs) listening to Roman's voicemail? And it's one of those things where, you know, people talk about like, that's happening off screen and whether that's you know good or not i always think it's just a case by case basis we talked about this with marvon during andor um but like the tension and like the emotion that comes from roman wondering did my dad listen to that voicemail or shiv putting tom on like mute twice in a row Mm -hmm. those kind of things only work if we're not seeing logan's death so it's not just a whole thing where it's like they're kind of having respect for elderly and not showing us logan at his weakest and just the last image of him is him walking strong into the plane and talking about knifing sid and jerry and all that stuff um is the fact that you can have all these other emotional moments that work because you did not show his death um, but do you have any thoughts on what logan was doing at time of death
1: um i was originally sold on the carry it was absolutely in there and now because i have remembered that logan wright is a dundee man logan wright he absolutely shot himself to death absolutely has to be the case and i also think the that t- kind of the tywin like, lannister yeah <laughs> yeah I, but i think that kind of like it, 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 it is on par with like Logan's deaths or near deaths have always been devoid of dignity, because I think that's kind of the point, right? Like, like we start mm-hmm, the show mm-hmm. with Logan pissing himself and having various medical crises, and it's just all embarrassing for him. And, and he, as the, the magnate he is, feels that not just through his, like, sort of crushed masculinity, but, like, through the sort of business and, and personal reasons that he feels like he needs to be absolutely impenetrable. And I think that kind of aligns with like this man is not going out in a he's not going out in battle at all he's gonna go out in the worst possible way and therefore shat to death Dundee man shot himself to death on airplane could be a story about someone coming back from Ibiza or Logan Roy and equal levels of dignity on both.
0: All right, so the one thing I want to talk about or like what this episode was kind of like most about to me is um. Interconnectivity and like just how we're always in touch with everything that's going on at all times, um, because what we experienced, uh, not to quote Led Zeppelin here, but is a communication breakdown <laughs> Um like not just in the quality of communication because when tom first calls the kids like it's very staticky it's broken up um it seems like tom's not even sure if he's talking into the phone or talking to frank right next to him it's a bunch of incomplete sentences eventually the signal kind of evens out so they're able to communicate more thoroughly but without seeing logan we don't no one really knows what's going on. That's literally like there's 15 minutes of episodes. Like, is he breathing? Maybe he's breathing. I don't think he's breathing. So Wait, you just said he was
1: breathing. This is kind uh, of interesting because I, I have to like, I know you're just kind of vamping it. But but do you think nobody actually knew? I mean, this question sincerely, do you think nobody actually knew what was going on? Or 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 do you get a sense that um, maybe a lot of the people on the plane knew new from the start and there was not really confusion except in the we need to buy time sense i could go either way it's not it's a judgment-free question Yeah.
0: yeah 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 i think it's purposely left unanswered um I would say that I imagine someone like Logan Roy, surrounded with the people he was surrounded with, they would try a little longer than they would say on my corpse. (laughs) They're like, ah, fuck, he's... Whatever, it's (laughs) it's not going to make much of a difference. Uh, But I imagine they probably, you know, if you have more money, they try harder and longer on you. I would imagine that's true. Um, I, I, I really think, for some reason... Tom, and I shouldn't say this, comes off as actually kind of earnest in this. And I think he respects Shiv just enough, or perhaps just has enough lingering love. Forget respect. Those are two different things. (laughs) Uh, Just enough, like, if there is any chance that you could possibly talk to your dad before he passes away, I want to give you that opportunity. I feel like given their current not a quote-unquote not estrangement uh like whether he would have done that if they was just like well he's dead um you know i'll call her and talk to her but i think doing the whole let's put it up to his ear like no one actually likes the kids yeah. um so it would be a tremendous performance just for their sake i would imagine
1: yeah i see so tom is just such an interesting thing for me because i think like there's so much of this hinges on that phone call that initial phone call i'm like the way that I'm kind of leaning right now is, I think Tom knows from the start that Logan's fucked. Logan's dead. Um I think, as you're saying, he's he's keeping the kind of charade up for Shiv's sh- Shiv's sake. My God, say that ten times quicker. Um, and 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 like you know, I mean, the first thing he asks is where Shivon. Could someone get Shivon? Where is Shiv? He caught Shiv twice. Um, I had the kind of uh, maybe this is condescending, maybe this is like horribly unfeminist of me, but like Tom had the energy of a parent walking a young child through death um, and and keeping up that illusion because he is aware that the person he is dealing with is either a child or has the emotional sort of um, competency um, uh, uh, success of a child. And so is like, like you say, being like, you will still get the chance to say goodbye to your father, but also like – as is we see with Roman, um, basically feeding into it because these people are just not emotionally matured enough to to handle something as since like as serious as death. And, and I think it was kind of interesting because it was I think one of the these amazing moments in which Tom is revealed to be what he is, which is a total usurper and and. Um, and sort of interloper into this world, and he is someone who comes from you know he's got a mom and dad somewhere, um, and and he loves his mother, and he has these a desire to have sincere and genuine emotional relationships with people, and and we see that here. Tom is not of this world, and we can see that he's not of this world because his concern in dealing with death is not the wills and not. Um, you know, how long do they need to circle the plane to make sure that the markets aren't fucked? Is, is Shiv going to be able to say goodbye to, to her father in a way that is emotionally satisfying for her?
0: Yeah, no, I do think it's going to come bite me in the ass that uh, I said Tom is being earnest and sincere here. But like, as you say, he comes from a less toxic environment, I imagine, where perhaps there were real feelings involved at some point. Um, So I think, yeah, that's kind of what I think. And it is funny because I would say the plane is kind of the Game of Thrones setting, as in it is like that King Robert has died. Now what's Varys doing? What's Littlefinger doing? What's Lord Renly doing like? That's what Carl and Carolina and Frank and uh, that's what they're all kind of worried about. And even Carrie a little bit because they kind of even hint at her her wanting to be involved in this. And I don't want to get like future spoilery, but it looks like Carrie's pretty involved with the upcoming episodes um so it is really going to be interesting to see how they shake out with everything
1: yeah i mean i god in heaven carrie is so strange i i just like i feel like in some ways i got blindsided by carrie maybe because like i don't know maybe just i haven't watched season three as many times as I've watched season two. I don't know. There's just something about Carrie where where I'm like, she was kind of a non-entity and now she's everywhere. And I'm like, why is she everywhere? Like, who is this person and why do I have to care? Not that the show isn't like making me care about her, of course, but I'm just like, God, why? Who and why and where are you? And like, are you like a kind of Chekhov's gun character? Like, are you about to end up doing something? Are you going to murder show? Cause that would be very funny. Like, what is the kind of story here? And, And then also I think like, she is this interesting link between where I think Willa was maybe at one point intended to be this and Anna has ended up being a sort of far more emotionally interesting character. Like Carrie is the very clear link between the kind of family side of things. Like she is present in that karaoke <laughs> karaoke room. Uh karaoke room. <laughs> and she is also obviously part of the business side of things, like when they were trying to kind of launch her <laughs> newscasting career, failed newscasting career. And she is the weird and awful and kind of and and quite often, gross intersection of the the like professional the the industry the markets the economic side of things and the family side of things in a way very few of the other characters are like the characters tend to be either more on the family side of things with the weird kind of intersection of the business that isn't fully business because they're all fucking worthless or they're the business side of things who um kind of have a a, a kind of personal or emotional involvement in it, but only because it's kind of a time and duration and like Stockholm syndrome kind of thing. Yeah,
0: it's funny. One thing I was thinking about a lot is, um, when, uh, hugo is talking about like the market reaction and everything and like roman's like oh won't someone please think of the market like who cares about the market at this point point? and then literally the end of the episode is uh roman pulling out his phone and showing off the wake uh waco stock price drop oh. and just said like this is dad's death so like in the end th- all these fuckers they only care about the market even um after like the immediate grief passes roman only starts thinking about it as a market and this is essentially what uh logan was telling uh colin in the first episode like what are people people are consumers and we're in markets and that's all people are at this point um so i just thought that was specifically funny um roman's really like fucked up in this episode i don't know if we really got a hint of this before but he doesn't he does not know how to make physical contact with other humans Mm -hmm. i guess we did know that but more of a sexual thing um but if you see the way like when he tries to hug shiv um i hate to use this reference but he does the Voldemort hug from (laughs) deathly hallows part two against draco malfoy where he just kind of like puts his arms around Like he grabs the other person's upper arms and kind of pushes him close to his chest, like off center. It's really weird. And then later when he tries to hug Khan, he like steps, but then he kind of just falls into uh, Khan's left arm and just kind of ends up hugging his arm on one knee. Um, It is just the strangest thing. It's like someone who has no idea how to express like physical intimacy or love whether it's you know romantic or just friendship or platonic or familial um he just has no way to actually physically show that and it actually now makes sense combining this with some of his sexual hangups and all that
1: yeah and i and i think it's kind of interesting because like roman's kind of well what i thought was roman's strength which was his like Proclivity towards hanging out and being associated with the sort of more business side of Waystar Royco um, and 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 his sort of more clear kind of narrative association with the people who are family and not business. Um, I thought that was kind of his strength, and that would be the thing that would carry him through to the end in in, you know, whatever varying degree of success or not failure um, might be probable for all of these characters. And instead, it is. It's interesting because it's it's his weakness. You know what I mean? Shiv goes running back to 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 tom and and Connor goes off into the sunset with with Willa. I don't know what the fuck Kendall's going to do, probably kill himself again. But like there is no one for Roman and he is aware of it in a way that nobody else seems to be aware of their own sort of shortcomings. Um and and he is desperately reaching out for something or someone or anything emotional and because he's only associated himself with the business side of things, the emotional will just never come back. Um and and that's fascinating and and in a way that I feel like shouldn't be the case because we've been waiting for Logan's death for as long as the show has been going. Like, I feel like so much of this episode is really just about totally shaking all of the predictions originally. And like, whereas we were all, all kind of by virtue of what the show is planning for rog- Logan's death and trying to decide how these Characters would succeed or fail around it, the point at which it has come means that like all of those kind of bets are off and like everything that was kind of previously true about their development now is just kind of thrown into this weird flux and and, and it's just all out of whatever awful equilibrium it was in before.
0: I do want to point out that last week uh, we did kind of mention, hey, wouldn't it be a thing if Logan just died in the next episode or two, <laughs> um, which I want to uh, give ourselves a little pat on the back. Um, and just to extend my godfather metaphor a little bit, uh, I called the last or the last scene of last week's episode, where Roman and uh, Logan are talking in the apartment together, tenth episode, that reminded me a lot of the last conversation between Michael and Vito in the first Godfather, um, when they're talking about the new normal with Michael taking over the family. The next time we saw Vito was when he was like chasing around the kid with the orange peel in his mouth, and then ends up collapsing and dying. So it's almost the same like sequencing of events of uh, building off our analogy from last time uh so hey we're right about something yeah Uh, so we're not completely completely insane but i do want to talk about the ending because despite the fact that we have this really great shot of the three kids hugging um how they end like you say they're all separated from each other like shiv goes off on her own she doesn't stay for anything is like dad can't yell us yell at us anymore for not (laughs) seeing his body um so she goes off and then she calls tom to come and you know be with her um Roman having nothing to do, he just goes to his dad's corpse. He's like, well, I'll just follow this fucking piece of flesh around for a while. Um, So we see him at the end of the episode just kind of watching them load it in. And then Kendall is kind of defined by his distance from his father. So that's why he's left you know, just kind of staring way off in the distance, much farther than Rome is from this. And unlike Shiv, no one really to go to. Um, And it's just him dissociating, something we've seen plenty of times in this uh, what's it called? Episode, but or episode sorry rather series but this time it kind of feels different but at the same time kendall was definitely fucked up that logan was dying and is dead but he seemed to be like almost the most head in the game about everything at the same time um like he was the one like calling his assistant jess and being like hey we got to do this we got to get doctors um and then he's the one saying like hey we can't have them circle the plane like they're going to write about this. Whatever we do is going to be in like SEC filings and go in like Jerry's memoir and stuff like that. Um, So if we say like my dad was dying and he circled the plane, like that's bad. So like Kendall always kind of has his head in the game. He's like the Mariadoc of this little fellowship (laughs) Um, because he was also the one at the end of last season who like knew all the clauses that would allow the kids to make some kind of challenge for Logan's sale of the company to Gojo. Uh, Oh, speaking of Gojo... Uh, this is how insane I am when I watch television. And this is something I did learn from Game of Thrones. I always read the opening credits to see which actors are in the episode. And the minute they did not show Alex Skarsgård because they go in alphabetical order and they just skipped him, I'm like, huh, that's weird. Because Logan was literally boarding a plane to go see Alexander Skarsgård. And that was kind of my first tip off that, hey, something might be happening in this episode. And also because there was a lot of like pre-episode discourse that this was the big one of the season.
1: God that, yeah, that's impressive. I zone out. So actually to be fair, I usually watch some projector, but uh, we finally uh, fixed our master bedroom and, and put a TV in it, got uh, put our old TV that was previously sitting in the living room. We put it in the master bedroom. And so I finally got to watch Succession on a proper TV for the first time in months. And I spent the entire credits uh opening credits going god i balanced that color so well on that tv man that looks great isn't that just fantastic (laughs) so that's the level of engagement i'm at with this thing i you could have fucking killed logan in those opening credits and i would not have noticed because i would have been like god that looks amazing
0: (laughs) yeah it's just you know i'm an insane person and i pay attention to those things i don't always like read the credits word for word but it just you know Alexander Skarsgard is perhaps the most famous person in the show at this point um even in the guest role or kind of a limited role uh so it was just kind of just stood out to me and trust me this goes all the way back to knowing that Tywin Lannister would show up at the end of the blackwater cuz Charles Dance was the second name listed <laughs> on the opening credits even though he was absent for the first 50 minutes of the episode uh man a lot of Tywin Lannister talk i really like it that's great by the way we're going to cover the red wedding soon on not a cast uh just to get another plug Ayo. in here. <laughs>
1: Uh, Okay, so the Game of Thrones stuff, this is opening for me a a segue, or actually even knowing that things are coming 50 minutes in advance of when they are coming, um, because thank you to the people on the internet. Now, usually I don't give a shit about spoilers, however, yesterday um woke up saw the message from you that was like do not watch this episode or do not check twitter do not read the any spoilers until you can watch the episode and so i took that as my like prime directive for the day it was like okay blinders on absolutely nothing and made it until like 5 30 and i still i didn't get to watch it until like 9 i made it until like 5 30 without seeing any spoilers and then i got off work 6 30 actually it was much later than that i got off work first thing i saw on my timeline was a tweet about Logan's death and then another one about Logan's death and like I had muted everything i had muted succession I'd muted all the character names and I and I had that spoiler and I was so like upset and i was upset until i sat down to finally watch it at like 9 30 um and then i spent the first like however many minutes it felt like a lifetime waiting for logan to die but just being stressed being like is this episode going to suck for me now because i know what's going to happen is the big surprise of this episode is the big kind of end point of this episode going to suck um and am i just not going to be as impressed with it because i know it's coming and not to justify all of the insane spoiler dropping everywhere all the time that was happening yesterday, because that sucked and that was uncool. However, still having had it spoiled, it hit like a bag of bricks. Like, I honestly, I was just stressed out the whole time until that. And and there was kind of like this sense of foreboding, which I almost a little bit felt like having a heart attack in real time. Um, or is it a seizure? No, it's a heart attack. That you know that you're that it's coming before it happens. Anyways, just sitting there waiting for that to happen, waiting, being like, oh god, when when's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? And then when it finally happened, it like it really hit. It really hit. Um, and, and I thought that was kind of like a it was a sign of the success of the show. So it was like two things. One, it was like God isn't the show so impressive that like I knew the big kind of thing in advance and it still hit incredible, and it was still just a fantastic episode of TV. So doesn't that in some ways sort of undermine a lot of the the kind of weirdness about spoilers like like you know the stuff that we talk about where like you know the the kind of everyone like people the actors on 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 set don't get full versions of the script because heaven forbid anyone know who Sauron is or like you know <laughs> not having the actors wear costumes because you're gonna CG in the fucking costume so the actor playing Sauron doesn't know he's Sauron that kind of thing does that undermine that in some ways possibly yes like it is the strength of the show however also very frustrating for everybody to everybody including the media (laughs) to have dropped those spoilers like that like can you imagine if someone did the fucking darth vader's luke skywalker's father an hour after um empire opened in, in in cinemas like that would just be ridiculous
0: Yeah. For those that don't know, the L.A. LA Times literally published an article that's an obituary of Logan Roy's death. And I think it actually published before the episode finished airing on the West Coast. So ostensibly, L.A. Times own like constituency or readership, whatever the right term is there, like were spoiled before they could even watch or finish the episode, which is just kind of an insane bit. And it's all because of stupid SEO culture. Um I can go on one of my rants about Google and SEO culture yet again but it's like what are we doing here like We've been covering TV and like dramatic, oh my God, like water cooler event TV for like over a decade now, like between Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. And people still didn't put like Rob Stark and Catelyn Stark die in the Red Wedding in last night's episode. You know, people just talk uh, like last night's episode has you shitting yourself or whatever the like journalistic approved phrasing for that would be. (laughs) But no, like we got... (laughs) Um, L.A. Times just flat out spoiling it like less than 24 hours. um, Hell, like less than two hours after it aired on the East Coast, um, which is just really abrasive. It reminds me of the worst instance of this was. Two weeks before Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came out, uh, GameSpot ran a front page article, the five post credit scene from Guardians 2 Explained. <laughs> and it's just like, well, what are you doing? This isn't out in any international market. This, it's, it's just purely because you're going to be the first, the first person or the first place to put that up. And then you'll get all the clicks. And even if people are mad at you for spoiling it clicks in this economy or clicks um, it you know puts more ads in front of eyes so theoretically someone gets paid somewhere down the line um so there's absolutely no scruples necessary it's just the minute you have content you can just fire it off we're like unstuck from time in terms of content now like we just this Mario movie came out and people are talking about the audience Rotten Tomato score meter. And I realized that this was happening before the movie even hit wide release, like a week and a half ago, people were complaining about the audience score on Mario. And then I'm like, Oh, this movie must've been out. I I didn't really have any interest in it. And then I realized it came out three days ago and we've been talking about it for two weeks. And I'm like, "Ugh." god damn it but yeah uh, so it goes i guess it's
1: just like i think it is like i think there's a culture possibly the death of twitter hastening this uh, is a good thing but like there's a culture of like everybody it, it's not quite the monoculture but it's an assumption of the monoculture for people who are online mm. like who are terminally on twitter um and like it is you know i think it's representative of the la times stuff it's representative of the, like total weirdos who actually give a shit about the tomato score tomato or whatever the fuck it is with the exception of the reveal for Rise of Skywalker which was the funniest video I've ever seen on the internet. <laughs> Nothing else about that website matters. But like for people who spend too much time online, like th- it-, it is nigh unthinkable that like people might not sit down to watch the show at the exact same time together. Like in some ways, is that a reflection of like a sad kind of loss of things that we had, like where everybody used to sit down in the '90s to watch The X Files and or Friends in the 2000s? Like maybe that's sad. Maybe don't care. Uh, it's just not reflective of the like, world that we live in. But like for certain people of ter- like a certain group of terminally online people, that monoculture just like continues to exist. And like I broadly don't care about spoilers. I mostly <laughs> read spoilers in advance of watching movies or whatever. But like there is uh people do care about that right and it's just a level of like i don't know not being a dick to to people around you having some sort of like conscientiousness not treating the internet like you're just kind of posting into the void with no like awareness of people on the other end of uh, of the computer like uh, these kinds of things That like incredibly funny (laughs) in light of succession which is a tv show about how fucked up you end up if you behave like that for people to then be like Well, I'm built different, um, and I think uh, maybe possibly, um, sadly, I think a lot of people are going to discover they are not built different. They are, in fact, built like Logan Roy.
0: You know who is built different? Our 5 and $10 patrons, Yay! <laughs> uh, who we are going to thank now uh, and read their Middle-Earth names. Uh, for those unfamiliar, uh, if you sign up at the 5 and $10 level, Emily will give you a wonderful Middle-Earth name in one of the many languages of Middle-Earth. And at the $10 level, we will read your name off at the end of every episode. And at the $5 level, we will read it on a rotating basis. So, Emily, do you want to take it away? Yes.
1: Thank you to Lothaman of Palenka, a.k.a. Johnny Flores, Jr.,
0: Thank you to Ed the Revelator, a.k.a. Silent Spider, Guardian of Kirith Ungol.
1: And Matty Hugh, a.k.a. Yithranor of Korkorthad.
0: Matthew Abbott, a.k.a. Aranro Minyatar.
1: <laughs> Michael Melma, also known as Zach Newman.
0: Uh, Sal Quendil, a.k.a.
1: Cam Lewis. Matthias Henson, also known as Aranian Taranan. Uh, Rona Say, a.k.a. Nick Smith. And Bunjil, a.k.a. Petamel.
0: And for our $5 patrons, we want to thank Sean, a.k.a. the Rascal of Rivendell.
1: <laughs> and Eladoma Benhatola, a.k.a. Elise. Let's go New Jersey.
0: And that closes the book on this episode of My Brother, My Captain, My Podcast. Our email is mybrothermycaptainmypodcast at gmail.com and pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can support this podcast by subscribing to patreon.com slash my bro, my pod, where you'll get access to special bonus content, including a special monthly bonus episode and early access to all our episodes. I've been Manu, also known as Nuclear Bomb. You can find me reading Napoleon and Josephine's letters to each other over at Nauticast <laughs> ASOIAF.
1: <laughs> and I've been Emily, also known as Share Tweetin, which is where you can find me on Twitter, where I will be doing a Pac-Man style butt bounce on Logan Roy's corpse just to make sure he's dead.
0: Toasting a pint to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, aka Ethraglier and Drithian, aka DJ Empirical on Twitter please like and review our podcast wherever you may be listening. So, if we ever die, just give us one of those funerals off a rack. You know, Reagan with tweets. (laughs)